Welcome to the latest episode of the Forward Thinking CFO. My guest today is known as the Pricing Lady. Her real name is Janine Liston, and she's based in Basel in Switzerland. After several years in corporate giants, Siemens and Syngenta, she went solo and now runs a consultancy under the name The Pricing Lady. I'm looking forward to learning more about pricing from an expert. So welcome to the show, Janine Liston. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, everyone. Yeah, welcome. So let's start with the obvious question. How did you become the pricing lady? Well, I kind of stumbled into it, in fact. I started my career as an engineer designing buildings. And after a few years of doing that uh, in the U.S., I decided it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I got a job in product management. Long story short. And one of the first things they gave me was a price list. And it was 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that's hard to believe. They were yeah, still charging I, the same prices? <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. And what? what was, you know, I was, I think I was like 26, 27 at the time. And I didn't have a lot of commercial experience, but I had enough intuition to know that something needed to be fixed there and took it upon myself to start digging around and figuring out how we can improve things. It was also taking us weeks to get a first offer out to customers and things like that. And so I took it upon myself, like I said, to just start revamping things. And we were able to really turn things around. Fast forward quite a few years, I moved to Switzerland with a job and the company was signaling it was time to go back. So I very politely quit (laughs) and looked for a local contract. That's when I got hired by Siemens as their global pricing manager for the building automation division. So you like Switzerland? (laughs) I do very, very much. <laughs> good. Um, so I guess like most things, pricing has there's a strategic element to it. So are there some key components of a pricing strategy that you would recommend? Yeah. So I think the most the important thing to understand is that pricing can either hurt or help the business. And the way and how much attention the organization pays to it, the way in which they do and how much they pay to it is what can either make or break the fact that it helps or it hurts more. Now, a pricing strategy, you have like product or offer-based strategies, which are the things that we all hear about, economy-based strategies and premium strategies. When I talk about a pricing strategy at this level, it's more about your roadmap for how pricing is going to be helping your business, how it's aligned with things like your brand, with your communication, with the values of the company. For example, if if your company, one of your company's values is transparency, then you may want to carry a thread of that through in your pricing as well in some context. So it's really about helping you have a roadmap for how pricing can actually support the business in achieving its goals, ultimately. Okay. So if we were to take a simple example, and I know mm-hmm. you deal with uh, small companies quite a lot and startups and so on. So mm-hmm. let's start with that. And then we'll perhaps talk about uh, how this applies in larger businesses mm-hmm. in a minute. But mm-hmm. if I'm a startup, a fundamental question really is what am I going to charge for my product or for my service? So mm-hmm. how would you recommend somebody go about that? So I use with my clients, I focus on a value-based pricing model. And what I use with my clients is a model or a process that begins with the customer first, puts the customer at the beginning of the process. Now, if we look at traditionally what people do, Product-based businesses tend to go, we make this really cool thing. This is what it costs us to produce it. Let's add a margin and price it there. And your service-based businesses tend to go, we do this really cool thing, 
everybody else is charging this. We'll charge 10% less. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and there's two things that both of those thought processes leave out of the discussion. One is the customer and the other is the value that they deliver with whatever they're offering. And in my book, those are the two things that we should be leaning into more in most businesses. So you have to understand your customer. <laughs> that, hmm? that, that can be very different from the, the kind of the way people tend to think of it intuitively. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, let's think about it for a moment because most people, their only context or understanding of pricing comes from being a consumer. Yeah. And if you take the tactics and strategies that are used in, you know, the retail industry, for example, and try to apply them to your small business or to your industrial manufacturing business, it could be completely disastrous because they're not fit for that. You know, just look at the way things are discounted. You know, the whole purpose in the retail industry of this whole discounting process that they use is to shift inventory, shift inventory, shift inventory, get old stuff out, new stuff in, old stuff out. But if you try to apply that to your boutique consulting business, (laughs) it's probably not going to be a very effective strategy. Sure. Okay. Now, the only thing I think I can ever remember being formally taught about pricing was the idea of pricing elasticity of demand. Is that mm-hmm. something that even features in, in, is it only really applied to kind of commodity products or is that something that you would take into account or? Yeah, is it, it can, it depends. <laughs> it depends on the industry. It also depends on the maturity of the organization. So pricing is, we, we always say it's a marathon, not a sprint. So most people are not going to go to, you know, things that, require a high level of know-how and skill at the very early stages of their business unless they really need to. Price elasticity of demand is interesting, but if you're a startup, then it's probably not the most important thing to be focusing on in the context of your pricing right now. If you're, say, a premium or a luxury brand, then it's interesting, but again, it may not be the thing that you're leading with, even if you're a well-established brand. Yeah. Okay. Um, And I imagine psychology has a large part to play in pricing. Um, To what extent is that something you have to factor in? That's a really great question. I always tell people pricing is all about the psychology, baby. And the listeners can't see that, but you have to wiggle your eyebrows when you say that. (laughs) We were on a team's call here, so I just saw Janine wiggling her eyebrows. She really did. (laughs) And when you come to larger organizations where many of your your listeners are coming from, there's actually two aspects of psychology. There's the one internal to the business, and then there's the one external towards the market and your customers. And oftentimes what I've seen when I was working with large organizations is that the internal psychology was incredibly powerful for good or for evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> evil is maybe a bit harsh, but you know it can really work against you. So I remember one organization that I was working with, like a local country organization, they're like, we are in the middle of a price war and it's everybody else's fault and there's nothing we can do about it. And that sort of attitude towards it, yeah, okay, maybe you didn't start it, but if you assume you can't do anything about it, then you will have, you know, that's what you'll do. You'll do nothing. And it took me quite a while to convince them to, you know, look at it differently. But when they did, they realized one, that they not only contributed to starting it, but they were still contributing to the situation. (laughs) And two, and more importantly, they realized that there were actually things that they could do. 
And by shifting that, they were able to, you know, kind of get excited, if you will, about the things that they could do and really shift the business because now they had it, you know, sort of that can-do attitude. Sounds silly, but it was absolutely the case in this example that they were, in a sense, their own biggest hurdle. Mm, Yeah, I can imagine that happening. And so Mm -hmm. we kind of drifted into talking about larger businesses there, which is very timely. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about uh, <laughs> how pricing is organized in large businesses. Or I, I can imagine mm-hmm. it could be often owned by sales, or but finance maybe think they should have a hand in it. Perhaps marketing think they should have a hand in it. Is it just a question of you know, all those people having a conversation? Or have you seen anything that works particularly well in terms of how to, yeah. you know, should somebody own it and uh, how does that work? <laughs> Excellent question. This is what I call the plight of a pricing manager. (laughs) I mean, in all the larger corporations I worked in, I was always moving around. What I found really important is that I didn't change my job based on who I was reporting to. I still did things in very much the same way. All the functions need to be involved because they have important roles. In some companies, it may make more sense to have them reporting in one or the other. My personal experience has been sales is one of the last places I would personally have it because it's like leaving children home alone with the cookie jar. I love salespeople. I'm not telling you you're bad people, (laughs) but you lose an element of, let's say, checks and balances when you have pricing report into the sales team. Should it be in finance? It can be. My experience is that pricing is more of a marketing topic than it is a finance topic. Of course, the results have a financial impact. But what happens often when you have pricing report into finance is that you end up focusing on, quote unquote, the wrong things. You you, you lose that outward market perspective. So in a lot of industrial manufacturers, what you'll find is that pricing conversations between, say, the headquarters and the local organizations become more focused on intercompany transfer prices than they do on the price to the marketplace. And that, I will say with full confidence, is not what your marketing people and your salespeople and your country heads and whatever should be focusing on. They should be, and the organization in general should be focused on the price in the marketplace, not some intercompany tax-driven price. That's the kind of thing that happens when they do report into finance. You have to be very careful of that. Yeah, I've also heard you talk in the past about the different incentives in so for, in sales, for example. Mm-hmm. It's about shifting volume. And so they go to tool is quite often discounting. And I know you've got a lot to say on discounting, actually, which uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe you could wrap that in a little nutshell and, and give us the key things to consider about discounting, which might be just yeah. don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, there is a time and place for discounting, especially when you get into larger organizations. A lot of times you're working through channels. So there's your discount and rebate system, right, that you use to have different prices for different channels and things like that. So there is a time and a place for it. What I have a problem with is unnecessary discounts. And one of the things I like to talk about is the leaky bucket of pricing. 
So if you're wondering, okay, what's more important in my organization? Should we really be focusing on how we position ourselves and the value pricing? Or should we be more focused on every transaction and what's happening on each and every sale we make? My answer is you actually have to focus on both. And that's where the leaky bucket comes in. So if you think of you're trying to fill this bucket with profits for your business, your price positioning, the value pricing, what prices you set in the marketplace, that's like the tap that's filling your bucket. If you positioned yourself well and you're able to sell it effectively, i.e. you get volume, then you're bringing nice levels of water pressure through in bringing that profit into your business. But when you're discounting unnecessarily, it's like poking holes in your bucket. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the more of that unnecessary discounting you're doing, the more holes you're poking in the bucket and then your profits are just leaking out. One other thing about this model that before we move on Mm -hmm. is that when you look at the other profit levers, volume, fixed costs, and variable costs, those only play on like your costs are only playing on the whole side of your bucket and your volume is only playing on the tap side of the bucket, but pricing hits both. So you actually have to actively manage both sides of that when it comes to pricing. Okay, understood. (laughs) Important (laughs) lesson there, I think. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Forward Thinking CFO. Numeritas created this podcast as part of our mission to improve the way finance makes decisions, and I hope you find the conversations as useful and interesting as I do. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or just talk privately about a forecasting or modelling challenge. Drop me a message through the contact form on our website at numeritas.co.uk and I'll get back to you. Now, back to the show. In terms of what we were saying about how you set prices by value and so on, in a larger business, you've probably got, well, you've probably got lots of divisions, maybe selling lots of different products, different services and so on. So is it really just a question of you have to focus on each one of those? Or, I mean, it, it, it's just a bigger job in a bigger company. Is that right? To some extent. Like I said, you know, pricing is about maturity in part and how different companies will handle it is going to be also be based in large part upon what maturity level that they're at. I think that the more mature you get, and especially in a larger organization, the more you're going to be looking at pricing software solutions, which enable you to more easily, air quotes here, focus on the price of each and everything that you do. What I've experienced and what I've tried to do is usually we have like those products that are really driving the business. And that's where we apply like the 80-20 rule. Those are the things where we focus and give the attention. We do the full market analysis. We might do different types of pricing studies on some of them as well. And then the rest of the portfolio, you're kind of pricing in relationship to that somehow. Yeah. Okay. Now, different types of businesses might need to take a different view. I think you kind of alluded to this bit earlier, mm-hmm. talking about uh, you know, if you're consumer-facing, so in a B2C business, mm-hmm. it's a different picture to B2B. But um, I think actually you just released a podcast about SaaS businesses as well. Did I see that? Or were you going to? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was an article. I'm, it's I'm on sorry. my list of things to do. I oh, so, haven't done it yet. <laughs> okay. But I, I, I had it in my, in my head somehow that uh, you you said something about SaaS businesses and I hadn't got the chance mm-hmm. to listen to it yet anyway but, uh, mm-hmm. but I suppose that's a growing sector 
But is there a significantly different approach to you know B2B, B2C and maybe SaaS businesses to pricing? So I think when it comes to price positioning, like setting the market price, you can use very similar processes. And I use a process that's, you know, viable for anything. If value is not the key, if you're running, let's say, a low price leader strategy overall, you want your targeting to be the low price leader with an economy strategy, then the value becomes the price (laughs) in large part, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a model like that, you can apply for the positioning of everything. I think where the bigger difference often comes is in the execution Mm-hmm. And the pricing model. So like in B2C, you don't need a discount and rebate scheme generally, right? If you're selling direct to consumers. But in B2B, or if you're selling you know, to channels, then you're probably definitely going to need some sort of discount and rebate scheme in order to manage that price range from your customer that pays the highest price to the channel that you know, gets lowest price, for example. So I think often that is the difference. And then also, of course, the messaging is going to be different. With consumers, you generally have sort of one target group in mind. But with B2B, you have lots of different stakeholders. And so your communication is a little bit more complicated because there's more people that you're speaking to. And they're looking for different, let's say, different points of value. Okay. Another thing that occurred to me Mm -hmm. was when I've tried to compare prices between my existing broadband supplier and you know whether I should change mm-hmm. it's not just the broadband they've got you know the TV and um, they also want to sell you mobile phones and all, all these <laughs> other things is that a clever way to to make it a lot more difficult to compare that you know so so bundling prices and that sort of mm-hmm. thing is is that a smart move <laughs> It can be. It can help. So what it does, as you've experienced, is it makes it harder to compare and a little bit less transparent, right? So if you do too much of that, then customers will pick up on it very quickly and they will go elsewhere just because it's easier to figure out what they're paying, right? So you can't hang out in that intransparent spot indefinitely and you can't get away with too much or too... I feel like I'm about to say a double negative here. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get away with too much intransparency. I don't think that's even a word, but I hope you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, you, so yes, bundling I, I is definitely a strategy. And you see that in almost every industry in one way or another, it can be very effective. There are times when customers may have a preference for unbundled things. So I think like right now, if you think about pre-COVID versus now, what customers value and what they expect from whoever they're buying from, what they want, those things have shifted a lot in the last three years. A lot has, isn't it? And, and yeah. you know, people's attitudes, are all sorts of change. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're facing inflationary times just now. Mm-hmm. So getting prices right is probably more critical than ever. Mm. So if I had to ask you for top three tips, if you like, top three points that people should consider in pricing, what would those be? You mean in in terms of considering and raising their prices or you mean in general? Well, in terms of, yeah, just I suppose one thing is should they be reviewing prices on a regular basis would be one thing maybe, but yeah. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, absolutely. I think it is a valuable part of any pricing strategy to set yourself up to monitor what I call price drivers, you know, things that may influence your prices, because then you will usually get early signs that a change needs to be made rather than waiting until it's so painful that you have to do something. And usually by the time you have to do it, you have to do it big and then it feels more risky. Uh, So yes, I would set up a process in your organization to be able to monitor the things that influence your prices so that you can see when to make changes. I think another thing that's really important, especially in well, in any business, but I would say in large organizations, is to understand the impact of a 1% price change on the business. There are only four levers when it comes to profit. Four things that you have to influence profit, that's price, volume, fixed costs, and variable costs. There's a study done by McKinsey, uh, I think in 2002 or so, I could be wrong about the year, but it's simple math. So it applies today just as much as it did then. It's called the power of pricing, I believe. And what they did is they took the top S&P 1500 companies uh, from the stock exchange, normalized the financials and did a calculation of what is the impact of a 1% price change on profit, all other things remaining the same. And what they found for these companies was that a 1% increase in price yielded an 8% increase in profits, which should kind of make your head spin a little bit and go, wow, that's huge. It is huge. I would hope that a lot of people (laughs) listening to this being in finance might have a handle on that. But when you put it in those simple terms, yeah, no, no, that's right. You put it in nice, nice, simple terms like that. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really just kind of drives home how important it is to, yeah. uh, well, and also to think very carefully before you do discount because, you know, that's, that's hurting your bottom line. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me finish that because there's two other hmm. important parts to that. And one is that that was significantly higher. I think it was 60 or so percent higher than volume. You have to check my numbers on this because I'm pulling it from my head. I may get them slightly wrong. higher than volume. I think it was like three and a half times your variable costs and one and a half times the fixed cost, something like that. It was significantly higher impact than the other profit levers. And when you think about how many people organizations have managing their costs versus how many people they have managing their pricing, you might, you know, raise an eyebrow and think, hmm, there's something wrong there. The last point is this. They also looked at what is the impact of your prices falling by 1%. Pricing is a sword that cuts both ways. So if your prices fall by 1%, for those companies, it would augment an 8% decrease in profit. So sometimes it's not always about getting them up, but it is about keeping them from eroding over time. Now that uh, conveniently brings me to um, your own business and uh, mm-hmm. your website. And, and actually, I should say for people who don't know that uh, Janine runs her own podcast and uh, there's lots of more of these kind of pearls of wisdom that you can pick up there. But you've got a, a website, it's got some neat tools on it for, for doing these kind of calculations. Haven't you? you want to tell us a little about that? Right. So if you go to thepricinglady.com backslash goodies with an IES, I have a pricing toolkit there. That toolkit has three tools in it. Probably two of them are are of most interest to those of you who are listening. One is the profit impact calculator, which allows you to take, say, your top three products and start to simulate the impact of a 1% price change. And so you can see those numbers yourself. 
And the second one that's of interest is the price change calculator. This is another one that is uh, probably going to raise some eyebrows here. And what this does is it helps you to look at, if you're thinking about changing prices, one thing you always, always, always want to do is do the math. You guys sort of love hearing that, you guys and gals out there. <laughs> and a lot of companies fail to do this. What this tool does very easily, it, let's say you have a product that has 40% gross profit. You put that in the tool. And then you'd say what your discount is going to be, for example. So let's say the plan is we're going to drop the price by 10% on this product and we should pick up enough volume in order to be more profitable. That's always the story, right? Well, if you look at that, what the tool will tell you is how much volume you need in that scenario in order to break even. And I think you already looked at the tool, Stephen. I did. <laughs> did you, you did. <laughs> so I want to ask the question. But the question is, you know, how much volume is it? And in this case, with this 40% GP product and a 10% discount, you need 30% more volume in order to break even, which is huge. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A 30% growth. Huge. In, in Where is it going to come from? Yeah. Is it yeah, sustainable? Yeah. It also does the converse. If you increase the price, with the same product, if you increase the price by 10%, you could lose up to 25% volume and still break even. So it gives you a real quick way to do a reference check and kind of see, okay, what are we going to need or what can we lose in terms of volume and still make this an attractive thing for us? Sure. I like these. These are effectively the front end of of some of, of a model. Uh, it, it's, yeah. uh, it, you know, they're, they're nice calculators for some mm -hmm. simple metrics that, um, yeah. that that people should know about their own business. Yeah, yeah. there's Very also good. a self-assessment tool which could be interesting for people. So I suggest they check that out as well. Very good. Yeah. No, I think uh, there's some some really good stuff there. So I do recommend people go take a look at that. And mm -hmm. so you've given us the URL for the website, uh, thepricinglady.com. Yeah. And yeah. Um, backslash uh, goodies. But yeah, backslash goodies for the tools. Yeah. And uh, anybody that wants to contact you can do so through there or uh, mm -hmm. presumably I think you're on LinkedIn as well. So uh, yes, I am. Yeah. Just as the pricing lady, that's the easiest thing for people to remember. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, it's it's a good. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure. I suppose it was when you started the business you came up with the name, but um, yeah, it was it's, it's, during my corporate days. I would go and show up for as... a pricing project, and I didn't know the people in the new location, so I'd introduce myself. Hey, I'm Janine. I'm here for the pricing project, and they always said, "Yeah, I know you. You're the pricing lady." <laughs> there you go. So you have your there own brand from from. Long way back, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, Julie, I, I, mm -hmm. I think we've come to the end. Unless there's anything else you wanted to to add, I think uh, that's that's been a really great collection of thoughts that, um, mm -hmm. that people, people can take away. And uh, you know, our listeners should perhaps pay a little more attention to to the the pricing, at, at least think about that. Um, and for for finance professionals, how they feed into that whole equation. So, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks very much. My pleasure to be here. 